We are on, well, it's really part three of a uh, series of messages that I've called It's Your Turn. And we did a preface, like a thought before the thought, before I went to New Zealand, and I was away for a couple of weeks. And then last week we continued with officially part one. Today is officially part two of It's Your Turn. This is what I want to encourage you to do. Uh, the concept is this. The, the idea that you've, you've hoped for something, believed for something, it might be for a, a health condition to improve, it might be for a financial breakthrough, it might be for a ministry to flourish, it might be for a relationship you've dreamed of. There's things in your world that you've been hoping for and you're not quite there yet and it always looks around and everyone else seems to be getting their turn but it's never my turn. Anyone relate to that kind of thought process? Well, uh, God sent me today to say, it's your turn. It's your turn. And so we're wrestling this through and I love the way we're able to do this as a church because when I guest minister, you go in and you drop a bomb and you walk out. But when we do life together, we can build it up slowly. You know, and I don't want to come and declare God says it's your turn. I want us to equip each other to walk out our turn. And that takes time. That takes some thought processes changing. That takes some life decisions to change. That takes some agreement in your heart with heaven. You can't just say it's my turn and nothing changes. You have to change. And so we need to do that together, and that's why we're called to be a church family. What I want to encourage you to do, according to Habakkuk 2.2, it says, write it down and make it plain so anyone can run with the vision. What is it you're hoping for? What is it that you want your turn to be? What is it? And write it down so that when it happens, and it's going to happen for you, you can look at it and go, that happened. I wrote it down. I believed for it. I was clear on what I was hoping for and believing for and dreaming for. And God stepped in and done it. And when you get your testimony, we want to hear it. Do you know what the essence of the word testimony even means? It means God do it again. That's what the word testimony means. So when you get up here and say, do you know what? Pastor Barry was banging on and on and on about my turn. And it actually has been my turn. We want to hear. Because then you stand up and there could be someone else in this group believing for the very thing you were believing for. And you stand up and say, God did it for me. And what happens in their spirit? God do it again. If he did it for you, he can do it for me. Testimony says God can do it again. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our? And the word of our? I know there's a crowd out there somewhere. I will drag it out of you. It's important. So this whole it's your turn thought process is based on this passage here in John 5 and verses 1 through 9. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Turn to three people and say, 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, while I'm waiting to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And that's kind of just an aside really. But here's the principle. At this pool... Every so often, about once a year, the pool would be stirred. And they believed that an angel was stirring the waters, and the first person to get in the waters would be healed. 
And here's this lame man sat at the back for 38 years, believing that if he could get in the pool, he'd get well. But every time it was stirred, he wasn't quick enough to get there because he was disabled. And so he was living in this horrible frustration for 38 years that it was always someone's turn, but it was never his turn. And then Jesus turns up. And Jesus is turning up the same today as he did then. To look you in the eye and say, it's your turn. It's your turn. So stir your faith. This is the principle. Last time we, we looked at this, we looked at the idea of the big question. You can find all of our messages on, on the, the podcast app, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on our website. They're everywhere. We flooded the market with our podcasts. But here's the thing. Who knows that what you feed grows? And so I want you to feed yourself with this thought process because God will stir something in you so that it will grow in you. Because I don't want to give good messages that make you think, oh, wow, that was nice. I want to see something change for you. Because then you have a testimony of my God's goodness. And your friends who aren't in church need to see that and hear that because it declares something of heaven on earth and you need it. So we looked at this idea in part one of the big question. Here's this guy there for 38 years, an invalid, and Jesus goes up to him and says... Do you want to get well? I mean, duh. But that's what he said. And we unpacked that last time. So I encourage you to have a little look. Today, the thought process is this. The pain of waiting. How long have you waited for something that you've just, you know God's got it. But you're waiting and you're still waiting. And here's the difficulty in the waiting, because we're all good Christian people, aren't we? Someone else gets their turn, and you have to be happy, in inverted commas, for them. Really chuffed for you. Still not my turn, again, but really happy for you. It's tough, isn't it, when you see everyone, and of course you are happy, but there's something in all of us that lies, when's it going to be my turn? When I meet my life partner, when I get my breakthrough in finances, when I get my healing touch, when the ministry takes off that I hoped for, when I get the friendships I believe for, whatever it might be in your world that you're believing for, it's going to be your turn. And here's the thing. In the midst of waiting and in the midst of being happy for everyone else, it can become very frustrating. And if we're real and honest, then we're getting real and honest because it's all gone quiet. (laughs) Disappointment can breed. Anger can breed. Anyone even been angry with God? Why is it never my flipping turn? Come on, God, do you love me or don't you? This kind of thought process breeds in this situation. And sometimes you get an opportunity that slips through your fingers and you find yourself just waiting again. And you're like, ah! This guy's waited for 38 years. And every time the water's stirred, he misses his opportunity. He must have been like, ah! But Jesus showed up. You know, I was, um, was going to hammer me because when I was in New Zealand, I did a preach and he talked about me always talking about football. Because uh, I used, did you know I used to be a professional footballer, everyone? Yeah. <laughs> but when I was young, when I was in the under 15s, I was at Ipswich Town and um, playing there and developing my skills and, and learning the craft and all the rest of it. And they had this show match of Bobby Robson's old Ipswich team from the late 80s. Anyone familiar with that? You're going to have to be a bit old. Yes, yes, come on. They were a great team. They won some European stuff and they were brilliant. Well, they played against the current England team at the time, you know, the senior team. And so there was this massive crowd, you know, 20,000 plus people come to see that. And what they did is they had the schoolboys game. So 
the Ipswich schoolboys v the England schoolboys while the crowd was arriving. And I'd been invited, I'd been sent a letter, please come to the game, we want you to play. And I'm like, of course, I'm all excited. And I'm going to play in front of thousands of people. And mum and dad brought me up there and took me there. And they're all chuffed. And we get to drive in the, into the proper player's entrance and into the, into the ground. And the crowds are arriving. And, of course, they've come to see me. And, um, and uh, I get there. And I was, all I'd got this letter, you're invited to play in this game. So I wasn't really sure what was going on. And I, I bumped into one of my friends. And we got ushered into this change room. I sat down and looked around. I was in the England changing room. I was like, come on, I've been picked for England. It wasn't that funny. The, the, the kit was out, all the white and the blue, and I'm sat there, and I'm my whole heart's still to give it one of them. I'm playing for England. I mean, who doesn't dream to represent sport for their country, if that's what you're into? You know, I was like, oh, wow, going to play for England. And the team started arriving. I'm shaking some people's hands, don't know any of these guys. Oh, I'd love it to meet you. Go, yeah, we can do this, can't we? Then the Ipswich guy puts his head through the door and says, Barry, you're with us. It kind of just slipped through my fingers, you know. I was so close to playing. I sat in the changing room. Did you ever sit in the changing room? I sat in the changing room. The kit was up and I got dragged out. You're with us. And it was cool. It was a brilliant experience as a 15-year-old guy to play against England boys and all the rest of it. And there was this moment. Um, we actually lost 3-0, but it was a, it was a good game. And uh, I was, uh, my, my gift was my speed. I was very, very fast. I was useless at heading, mainly because it messed my hair up. And uh, this corner came in, and it was up high, and it was one of those ones that was coming straight to me, and I had to head it. Do you know when you, you know, you've got 20,000 people, you can't duck it. It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? The ball comes in, I jumped over, and I went bash, and I hit it right on my head. And it flew and curled, and it hit the bar. And the whole, I'm 15 years old, 20,000 people, and the whole crowd went, yeah! I was like, Whoa. my heart was going, it was brilliant. But I didn't get to play for England. And I had this little chance, and I was like, oh, it wasn't my turn. I just wonder how many of us have fallen in love only for the partner to leave. It's like, it's not my turn. I wonder how many of us applied for the job and you got to the final interview and someone else gets it. It's not your turn. And there's that element in life where it just gets frustrating and disappointing. But here's the truth. Don't force it. Do we believe, do we believe, do we believe, according to Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for our good? Is that the truth? Because as Christians, what we want to do is plant ourselves on the rock of God's word, don't we? This is the truth. God's for me. Jeremiah 29, 11. His plans are good for me. He's not going to disappoint me. He's not going to leave me. But as we see opportunities throw, if we're not careful, we start looking at the opportunities and we stop looking at Jesus and we start thinking, well, I'll tell you what, I've prayed enough for this. I've believed enough for this. I've lived right long enough for this. I'll just make it happen. Anyone, anyone ever been in that position? I'll push for something. I can make it happen. God, if you can't do it, I'll have to do it then. Anyone live there? Come on, there's one honest person in the building. We get tired of waiting. But there's a very famous story, biblically speaking, of Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah have a dream. And their dream's a simple dream. They want to have a son. And particularly in those times, they needed to have a son because when Abraham was going to pop his clogs, culturally speaking, the oldest son takes over and looks after mum. And if there's no older son, the mum is left as a widow and they don't look after the women. It's horrendous. So they need a son. So it's not just some weird dream that I fancy this. It's really important. More than that, God promised them, you're going to be a father. And they were getting older and older and older. 
And in the end, they looked at each other and said, we can sort this out. Sarah went to Abraham and said, look, our maidservant Hagar, why don't you sleep with her and have a son with her that we can take as our son? Because then I've got a son. Then we've got what we always really wanted. And Abraham's thinking to himself, do I sleep with the maidservant? Do I not sleep with the maidservant? Any man in the room's like, mm, big choice there. And Abraham says, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. And they sleep together. And here's what happens. Genesis 16, verses 1 through 6. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she, was, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Here's the thing. None of this was Hagar's fault. And here they are in the situation in their marriage with the promise of God on their life that they were waiting for and they've been waiting a long time. And instead of keeping waiting, trusting in the Lord's promises to be good and true, they take it into their own hands. And then when Hagar does exactly what Sarah can't do but wants to do, she hates her for it. And so they've invited into their world, into their marriage, into their home, this whole discord, this whole jealousy, this whole hatred. It's all in there. And actually they got what they thought they wanted, but it wasn't what they wanted. And it's just messed everything up and it's become very, very difficult. Why? Because they forced something. They pushed for something rather than trusting in God. They took it into their own hands. Forcing something is worse than waiting for something. When you're in God's hands. You know, they had this awesome lad called Ishmael. And Ishmael actually went on to, to found the Arab nations and God blessed him. You look at the Arab nations even today, often very, very wealthy people. All the oils over there, God's blessed those people. And so even in their mistake, God blesses it. But where did it leave Sarah? Where did it leave Abraham? They had this dream. They were waiting on something and they'd pushed for something and they'd messed it up and God was still blessing it, but they weren't at peace because it wasn't what they really wanted. They'd forced something through. But then something amazing happens in Genesis 21, verses 1 through 6. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. As he had said, the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, uh, to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him, youngster. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Isaac, the name Isaac means laughter. And isn't it interesting, something when you're waiting and so desperately waiting that you take into your own hands and force produces an Ishmael, which God can still bless, but it brings discord into your life and is difficult. 
But then when you wait on the Lord and his timing, God blesses it and he brings forth laughter. Even in their old age, we'd wait a hundred years old. I mean, I know we've got people pregnant with small babies. Now imagine doing that at a hundred. The energy is not what it was. But they were so chuffed. God has blessed us. God has done what he said he was going to do. But timing is everything. Waiting is painful. But forcing something is worse. So my encouragement to you, if you're in a period of waiting, is not to look around you and think, how can I force this? But to keep your eyes on Jesus and say, I trust your promise. Because as he times it perfectly, you will laugh. But if you push for something, I don't know what you might get, but it won't be God's highest. Turn to three people and say, come on, timing's everything. (coughs) In the waiting, I want to suggest two things that you can do in the waiting period, because this isn't about not being active. Because even in the waiting, we can be active without getting ahead of God. If we truly believe, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 10, that it's not by our hard work and our striving, but by God's grace that we enjoy life, then we can trust him, can't we? This isn't about you working harder. This isn't about you doing more. This is about you having full belief in your heart that God is good, he loves me, and I trust him. And his grace is sufficient for me to give me enough through the waiting period until the laughter comes. We can trust him. The lame man in our passage was forever looking around him, waiting for his turn, but he didn't get his turn through his own effort. He got his turn when he stopped his everyday life and looked at Jesus. And it's true today. If we are prepared to take a moment out of the busyness and the frustration of the waiting process, take a step back and breathe and look to Jesus, it's amazing what happens. But when we're forever looking around us, waiting on something, dreaming for something, looking at everyone else have their turn, it just breeds disappointment and frustration. But when you've got your eyes on Jesus, things happen quickly. Are you with me, church? The first thing I want to encourage you to do, if you're a note maker, this is the first thing you need to do. Pray. Pray, 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 pray. This is what I believe. Private prayer releases public victory. Private prayer releases public victory. I just know there's praying people in this room. And when people see you get your turn, it isn't because you're better than them or anything else. It's because you've been in the quiet place. And you say, God, I need you right now. And God sees that. And in that private place, God does something. You know, if you want to stand before your enemy, you have to bow before your king. You know, if if there's something come against you, whether it be sickness or lack or debt or or, or isolation or any of these things, what overcomes that? Jesus. How do we get into with Jesus? We pray. And so therefore, the answer to your waiting process and frustration is in the prayer. But I wonder how many of us, that's the last thing we do. We look around at circumstances. We look around at everyone else. We look at ourselves and say, what more can I do? But the first thing we need to do consistently is pray. Is there an amen in the house? Matthew 6, 6 says this. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sings what is done in secret will reward you. That's not a Barry Robertsism. That's Jesus. That's God's word. So when you get in that quiet place and you get on your knees and you share your heart, Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is where humanity can touch the heart of the Father in heaven. Prayer is like, God, I know you love me, but I'm frustrated right now. Hear my cry. 
But in the waiting, I honor you. In the waiting, I trust you. In the waiting, I'm going to love and bless some people. But I'm sharing my heart with you, Lord God, and I need you right now. No one else sees that. But what happens in the private place, God will honor in the public place, according to Jesus. That's powerful. You see, prayer isn't just about Sundays. Church isn't Sunday. Church is who we are all of the time. And so, yes, we come and we have corporate prayer. We pray for each other and we lay hands on and that is good and proper and right. But that's not where it stops. Prayer is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I want to encourage you. What is your room? Jesus says, go into your room. Do you know one of my rooms? The shower. I love praying in the shower. I've got my little, my little radio thing that's waterproof and have it on. They have some worship music and I'm laving up and getting myself all clean. But I'm shabba-dabba-doing. I'm praying to God. It's my quiet place. No one else can see it. But my father meets me in the shower. He's not prude. It's all right. I don't know where your quiet place is, but get a quiet place. Every day. Form a discipline. Who knows the prayer's discipline? It's like you've got to choose. But what happens in the quiet place is rewarded in the public place, according to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to press in. See, what happens in the prayer process is you share your heart with God and you form a relationship and he loves you so much. He is your dad in heaven. And what happens in that process while you're waiting, you are empowered by God's grace to have the ability to wait. You're not doing it in your own strength then because you've connected with the Father. And he says, I know this is difficult for you, Barry, but I'm going to give you the grace for it. Come on, let's do this together. I love this picture I've been having a lot recently in my shower that I'm going to stand before my father one day and I'm going to be able to go, we did that together. It's not going to be a case of I don't know you. I speak with my father every day, all of the time in fact. I'd like to think my, my life is a prayer. And I stand with him and go, look what happened in Equippers Essex. And God's like, yeah, we did it together, didn't we? Look at the people I love. Yeah, we did it together, didn't we? Look at the finances and the cars and the houses I gave away. Yeah, we did it together, didn't we? We bless some people on the journey. Why? Because in my prayer life, I find the relationship with my Heavenly Father that I walk out publicly. And God blesses it. Imagine a church living that lifestyle. Imagine if we were all in the shower, not together. But praying to our Heavenly Father and communing with Him and sharing our heart with Him and building a friendship with Him. That He says, I can bless that. I'll give you the grace and I'll empower you. But because you're seeking me in the quiet place, something good's going to happen in the public place. Our Father's good. And His plans are good for you. We need to be a bit more excited about it. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. That's my Father. What we want is the desires of our heart. And the key, according to the Bible, is delight yourself in the Lord. Which means in the shower, include him. I love that idea of creating space and time to develop my friendship with my father. Sharing my heart. But here's something. God made us on purpose. Do you believe that? I love the idea that we have a creative God who made me on purpose and for a purpose. It gives me a reason to live. But he's made all of us like this. Two ears, one mouth. Has anyone got anything different than that? For me, that suggests, in terms of our father's creative juices, that he wants us to listen twice as long as we speak. Two ears, one mouth. We live in a society that speaks ten times more than we listen. But we need to be people who live like Jesus. 
And so when you get in that quiet place and you're praying, how about split it into thirds? One third is you talking, two thirds is you listening. Because then you can hear the Father's heartbeat. And here's what I believe about that passage in the Psalms. When you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But when you delight yourself in the Lord, you feel the Father's heartbeat and your heart changes. And your heart changes to be more like the heart of the Father. And so when you get the, the, the desires of your heart, they're the Father's desires. Do you see? It's not about God giving me what I want. It's about me getting so close to God that I want what he wants. And it becomes my heart's desire. And then, of course, I get it because it's what God wants in the first place. My God's clever. But can you see the process? Time to pray, church. There's lots all around, all the social media, in the news and the rest of it, about mental health and wellness and all this stuff. And it's so good that that's out there because there's a lot of struggle around it. But who knows that nature is amazing? So much of the material you'll see will be about get out. Get out of the business of life. Go for a walk. You know, go and see some nature. Before I went to New Zealand, Sarah and I went for a walk out to um, Dedham. Do you know the, um, there's that coffee shop over at Dedham? Um, what's, that, what's that house called near Willie Lott's Cottage over there? Flatford Mill. And we walked there. We went wrong, actually. We ended up in a cow field and a sheep's field. And I got chased by a goat and all stuff went on. But, but do you know what? We laughed. We got together. And it was hilarious. And we talked more because there was no noise. There was no phones to go to. There's no TV on. We talked and we walked and it was good and it's healthy. It's been really hot, hasn't it? Get yourself out there. I promise you it's better for you. But in that walking, in that breathing, pray. Who knows that meditation is powerful? Here's the thing. Meditation wasn't the idea of Hinduism and yoga. Meditation was always God's idea. Joshua 1 verse 8 says this. Keep the book of this law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Who knows that getting your heart and your mind and your thought processes in line with God causes you to do well. So meditation was always God's idea. What's happened is it's been robbed because everyone can see it's a good thing. And now it's been messed up a little bit. And the Christian community is like, oh, meditation, that's a bit yogi weird. Well, no, no, no. Meditation was always God's idea. It's what you meditate on. So it's crucial. So let me encourage you. Create some space in your world to stop and breathe. And in that moment, fix your eyes on Jesus. You'll be amazed what goes on in your heart, what goes on in your thought processes. Share your life with him. He's your dad in heaven and he loves you and he wants relationship with you. If my son Josh never spoke to me, would I be close to him? Not really. Would I love him? Yes. But would I be close to him? Not really. But because we chat every day, we've got a bond and a relationship and we laugh and we joke and we do stuff together. And I love it and he loves it. That's what our Heavenly Father wants. And it begins in prayer. Prayer's not about getting on your hands and knees and putting your hands together and eyes closed like we're taught at school. Prayer is walking out our relationship with the Father. And it's easy. I love Matty Bills. Matt Bills celebrates his 40th birthday this year. Round of applause for Matty. Young man, I tell you. Young man, young man. And uh, those of you who will know Matt, Matt, there's lots of great stories in this church, but Matt has been someone who's been in the waiting journey. Matt, 40 years old, he wanted to be married. And uh, who knows that in our church in the last two or three years, we've had about 45 marriages. And Matt, because he's the worship team leader, he's served every single one of them. And he's served with a smile on his face, and he's kept his eyes on Jesus, and he's got dressed up, and he's clapped and cheered and kissed and chink chinked the champagne for everyone. 
But knowing inside he wants it to be his turn. And he's waited till his 39th year. But this is what I know about Matt. Matt loves nature. Matt loves mountains and walking and lakes. Has anyone seen any of Matt's photography? Unashamed plug, Matthew Bill's photography, go hunting down. You can buy it on all formats. He's gifted. Didn't you win an award recently? Best photo- photograph in Essex or something? You don't have to say he did anyway. He won something. Best Matt Bill's photography. But this is the thing. I know that when Matt is out there photographing nature, he's also communicating with his father. And he takes the time out there to see something of nature and go, wow, my father created that. That inspires me. And in the looking at nature and taking photographs and climbing mountains, something goes on between Matt and the father, which is why he was able to go through wedding after wedding after wedding after wedding and congratulate people and clink the champagne and play the worship and not be frustrated because he was close with his father and his father gave him grace for the situation. He could have forced something. He could have gone out with some random girl who may or may not have been quite nice. But who knows, it was better for Matt to wait for God's blessing than to end up with an Ishmael which was just hard work. Here's a picture of Matt and Jess. (coughs) See, in the waiting process and communing with Father in the quiet place, Matt got his public blessing. And he didn't get any old blessing. He got the awesomeness and the joy that is Jess, who is now Jessica Beals. And she's pretty epic too. But the quiet place is key. So if you can take some thoughts out of what we're saying today and you're someone who finds yourself in the waiting process, can I encourage you, the first thing you need to do is create a relationship through prayer with your father that will give you the ability to go through the process and see it his way. Is there an amen there? The second thing. It's closely linked to the first thing, is worship. It says this in in Joshua 3 and verse (coughs) 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things amongst you. Who knows that the way God does things is prepare today so that you're ready for tomorrow. Get yourself ready now so that tomorrow it comes. You see, Matt could have met Jess, but if Matt wasn't in the right place, Jess could have come and Matt wouldn't have been ready to receive her. And vice versa. But because Matt had communed with his father, he was ready. So when Jess walked into the church, and I did see him clock eyes, by the way, we all saw it. But they were ready. Why? Because they'd got themselves in the quiet place and ready themselves for what God was going to do tomorrow. Part of getting yourself ready is to worship. You see, prayer is us going to Father saying, I want to share my life with you. And I want to hear your heartbeat. Worship is saying, thank you, thank you for who you are. Not for anything you're going to do to me. Just for the fact you're my loving father. I get my eyes off of me and fully onto you. And I bow the knee and I say, thank you. Thank you that I get to live this life with you. Thank you that at the end of it all, when I stand before you, we're going to know each other. My eternity is secured. Thank you. Worship gets your eyes off of you and onto him. No other agenda than to say thank you. Can you see the difference between prayer and worship? It's all about getting your eyes off of you and onto him. And in that process, what happens is when you submit to Jesus and give him your heart, he can build a home in your heart. And when you build a home in your heart for Jesus, good things come your way. You see, we look on the outside for things we can shift and change and do to change the situation. But God's always looking on the inside. 
Because God could change your circumstances on the outside in a moment. But if you're not ready on the inside to handle the change, why would God give you the change that you can't handle? So God is saying, get your prayer life up. Commune with me. Talk with me. Share your life with me. I want to know how you feel. And then when you worship and say, it's not about me, it's about you, God comes right in the middle of it all and he prepares you on the inside. And then as the outside changes, and it will, because your turn is coming, you're ready for it. And so it's important that we don't just sit there getting frustrated. It's important that we prepare ourselves on the inside for what God's going to do tomorrow. Are you hearing me? God doesn't rush. We live in a quick society today, don't we? Who knows? You know, we just had our, our um, broadband changed and we get something like nearly 60 megabytes per minute now. Basically, I, I, test, I press go on my internet search and it's there. You know, and if I go around someone's house and they've got like two megs per minute, and I press that and you're waiting for three seconds. It's like the longest three seconds in the world. What on earth? What you got here? Do you want me to wind it up? You know, we live in a society where it's all about KFC and McDonald's and, 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 and there are other, other brands. And, you know, great sometimes. But fast food all of the time. Put your hand up if you own a microwave. Everyone owns a microwave. Do you know why we own a microwave? Because it's quick and it's easy. But God doesn't do things quick and easy. God prepares. He prepares for you a feast in life before your enemies. You know, if you're going on a date with someone, men, talking to you men, if you're going on a date with the, the lady you love or potentially might have a relationship with them, do you take them to McDonald's? If you do, yes. That's my boy. Chip off the old block. You don't take them to McDonald's. Why? Because that's all quick. Do they feel valued? No, no, no. You save the pennies and you take them somewhere nice and you go to a place where there's an environment and some candles and some music playing and they come and they serve you and you get a chance to talk because that's a feast of life. So God isn't going to put your life in the microwave and go ping, there you go, have it. He's preparing something on the journey because God prepares a feast. Getting closer to Jesus is about taking the quiet moments consistently well to hear his heartbeat. And living a lifestyle of worship where it's not about me anymore, it's about you. And in that, God builds a home in your heart where he enables you in the waiting process to handle your stuff. And you can. And you will. Prepare today for what God's going to do tomorrow. I want to tell you again, it's your turn. Can you see why we have to go on a bit of a journey here? There's no point in me giving one message and going, God says it's your turn. God's got to do something on the inside of us, and that's a process. But because we're a church doing life together, we get to walk it out together. And my encouragement to you is send someone a text, go and have a coffee with someone, say, what are you believing for? I want to stand with you. And where are you at with it? Can I help? Can I pray for you? Can we do it together? Share life together because it's about being a community of faith. The lame guy waited 38 years. And all the way through that 38 years, he was looking around him. But his breakthrough came when he stopped looking around him and he looked to Jesus. And then it happened so quickly, his head was swimming. It happened so quickly all at once that he almost didn't know what to do with himself. But I believe it's going to be true for you too. That the thing you've been waiting for for years is going to happen so quickly when you take a step back from the busyness of your world and you look at Jesus. You will have a story that says, my God did it for me. And that story will declare to someone else that my God could also do it for you. Are you with me? Could I pray for you? Can you stand up?
Let's just take a moment, church. I'll just invite you to close your eyes if you're willing. Take a moment, you and the Father. Jesus. Thank you for your presence here, Holy Spirit. We honour you. And we invite you right now to search our hearts and come and touch our lives, our thought processes, our wrestles. Come on, church. We submit to you, Jesus. Lord, we get our eyes off of ourselves, off of the people and the activity around us, and get our eyes fully on you. Thank you that you are our answer. Thank you that you hold the keys to life and death. And thank you that you're for us. Just with every eye closed, is there anyone here today who totally relates with this idea of being frustrated? I feel like I've waited forever and you're saying that and I just feel like, oh, that's been me. Well, I believe today God wants to just lift that off you. So if you're someone who's feel like you've waited for so long, it's become frustrating and annoying, just give me a wave. We're going to pray. Thank you. Bless you there. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Are lots of people. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you've seen the hands and you know the hearts. I encourage all of you, if something's stirred up in you today, we've got a prayer point over here on my left. After church, just go and speak with someone. We've got some great prayers in our church. We'll stand with you. But Lord, I lift up these amazing people who are openly acknowledging it's become frustrating. Well, I say frustration lift off in Jesus' name. I break your power over the lives in this room. These are the king's kids and you don't belong here. But for your part, can you shift your focus now? Can you get active? Can you share your heart and your frustrations with your father? Can you worship him at home and say, it's not about me anyway, it's about you. And just watch what Jesus might do in your world. Because it is your turn. You will have your thing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord. Lord, I want to ask that you stir up dreams. Stir up dreams in your church, Lord God. New dreams. Bigger dreams. Things that are on your heart. Let our hearts align with your heart, Jesus. Let us dream your dreams so that we can be your hands and your feet and your mouthpiece in our world. But I declare the goodness of God over your church. Good things are coming your way. He will bless you. Just with every eye closed, is there anyone here today who's really feeling stirred that the reality is you're away from Jesus? And maybe today's the day you want to say, Lord, I want you in the middle of my life. I've been frustrated, but I need you. Is there someone here today who says, yes, I want Jesus in the middle of my world right now. And I want to make that choice today. Just give me a wave. We're going to pray for you. Bless you there. Bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Come on, don't miss your moment. These are life-changing moments. Thank you, Lord God. Okay, we've got a couple of people responding. I'm going to pray a line. Come on, church, we'll pray it together. You pray after me. But heaven rejoices in these moments. Father God, thank you that you love me. Today... I ask that you live in my heart. Be the center of it all. I submit to your kingship. I'm sorry for the times I've done it wrong. But today, I give you my full attention. And all God's people said...
Should we give Father a round of applause for what he's doing?